Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looking for something to do after Halloween is over? Are you into the strange, bizarre, and unusual? On November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the Strange Realities Conference is coming back to Nashville, Tennessee, and streaming online. Come join us for three days exploring mysteries, supernatural, the occult, weird history, and more. Featuring lectures, presentations, and workshops by Tim Banal, Zach Hunt, Leslin Vance, Bryn Collier, Tobias Whalen, Brent Rains, Joshua Cutchen, Kiki Dombrowski, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Christopher Ernst, Aaron Gullius, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Mallory Samwitzki, Soraya Azkap, and special guest Steve Berg as your Master of Ceremonies. Make sure to join us for the fun and informative weekend online and at SIR Nashville November 3rd and 4th and online only November 5th. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Okay, well, we just feel that anticipation in the room as that countdown goes on. Man, I'm still just, uh, by by that total, um, that absolute um, intensity there. So, we'll just put Surfiel there real quick. Just to to show... What's going on here? That we have we have a special guest uh, joining us tonight for the Strange Realities Conference preview. Uh, yeah, you said so, un- undergone some changes, or is this your real face? Yeah, this is my real face. Yeah, uh, you know, you know who you you also look like. You look like the abominable Doctor Fibes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah the, there's a little yeah. bit of that with the uh, teeth. Right, Dr. yeah, Fibes. yeah. That's uh, yeah. Uh, the abominable Doctor Fibes has joined us tonight, everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah, what, what just happened? <laughs> just came out of somewhere else, man. I think you're up had, in the Pacific think, Northwest, so I think we had our frequency stuff is you know. Yeah, we had a transmission from uh, from the reptilian overlords, either are the Collins elite, one of the two. <laughs> so, welcome everybody. Uh, we are counting down, continuing the countdown to Strange Realities 2023 coming up here November 3rd through the 4th and the 5th in Nashville, Tennessee and online. And tonight we have another set of speakers. Uh, we have three speakers that are going to be speaking on the online day coming up on November, November 5th. 
and another speaker that is going to be speaking on November 3rd, that Friday evening. So I want to welcome everybody. Zach Hunt, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. Thanks again for having me. It's an honor. Absolutely, man. I'm glad that you're here. And uh, we've got Christopher Ernst. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. And uh, ha- hasn't been on for a little while. And I have uh, not. No. Neither have. I've been busy. Yeah. And Aaron Gullius is here with us as well. Yes. Hello. 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 And uh, last but not least, uh, David Metcalf is also with us too. Always good to join y'all. Yeah. Always good to have you. So um, we are going to do what we have done the last few weeks, which last three weeks, which has been to talk about what you guys have discussed, uh, what you guys are going to be presenting at the Strange Realities Conference uh, coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, and online. And you guys can see, uh, for everybody watching at the moment or that are going to be watching here fairly shortly, www.strangerealitiesconference.com is where you can get tickets. Uh, Tickets are very much still available for both online and also for uh, in-person. So, um, but... To let you guys know, the whole entire conference is being streamed online. So if you get an online ticket, you will be able to uh, to see the entire thing all three days. And, and like we always say, if you miss any of it, if you do come in person but you miss any of it, you can also catch that online. So it makes both ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just like you are watching, if you're on the Facebook group uh, – that we are using for to stream the conference, you can go back and watch this. So it's exactly the same. Uh, we have several of these up now as well. So you guys can go, can go watch that. That's only one of the places that I'm streaming this to. It's also being streamed to YouTube. So gentlemen, let's get into it. Let's talk about what you guys are going to talk about at uh, strange realities. And uh, Zach, I have, not been able to really talk to you about uh, what you're going to be presenting, but I'm really excited to, to know what you're going to be talking about. Yeah. Well, I um, kind of, I guess two things, but in one, um, you know, I originally planned on talking about like the rapture, you know, and end times theology and that stuff. And then, you know, the stuff that's happened in Israel made that um, more yeah. pertinent, I guess. Right. Um, and so, you know, what I plan on kind of doing is, you, know, you you see, obviously, this is a more, you know, uh, poignant or dramatic or serious moment than, you know, a lot of times when end times prophecies, you know, get uh, get pushed. But I think it's a good jumping off point to talk about that kind of stuff and to debunk it, um, not debunk what's going on there, but debunk the way that, you know, this theology gets used to, like, grift, you know, a lot of folks, um, the way, you know, moments like this. You know, you have these horrible tragedies that can get compounded, you know, by people who, you know, some just have bad theology, but some are also looking to make a buck, you know, because there's there's a formula for this kind of stuff. You know, something bad happens in Israel or Russia or fill in the blank, and then you've got this, you know, formula for, okay, now Jesus is going to come back. Now the end of the world's happening. Now the seven bowls of wrath, blah, 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 blah. And it happens, you know, year in and year out, you know, with different events and you know, this one's just one of the, you know, different magnitude, obviously, than, you know, some stuff that's gone before. Um, but, yeah, I want to walk through that and talk about, you know, why that kind of stuff is problematic, but then also find, you know, some hope, you know, and some, you know, good news and that kind of stuff, too. Um, not specifically the rapture, but, 
you know, the book of Revelation, you know, when it's weirdness and oddness and, you know, hard to understand this um, and, and find, you know, the truth that there is in myth. Um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, you know, kind of a fundamentalist sort of background and the idea of myth and truth were always polar opposites for me. You know, if something was a myth, then it wasn't true. Um, and, you know, one thing that I've come to see or, or believe, at least as I've you know grown up and got older, is that that couldn't be further from the truth that, you know, myth conveys truth in a way that, you know, like history um, and like literalism can't, you know, because myth can um, transcend space and time and culture and context in ways that history can't. And so I think that like a book like Revelation, you know, for all its weirdness, if we can sort of get back or step away from looking at it as like this literalist, you know, roadmap to the future and begin to see the story, you know, that it's trying to tell, that it can offer hope, especially in a moment like this, that's, you know, really scary, um, you know, and, and dark that, you know, there's still light, you know, at the end of the tunnel and even in the, you know, crazy um, books like Revelation that that hope um, and that good news can still spring forth, uh, you know, if we learn to, to read the story the way it was meant to be told. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's excellent. That's very well put. Um, guys, if, uh, I don't know if you know who Zach is, but he's written several books now about, uh, these type of subjects, um, unraptured. And mm -hmm. there was the other book about, uh, where he really took like a really critical eye on the whole concept of biblical inerrancy. And I think you do a really good job of, of kind of debunking a lot of the myths that are used, especially by like the religious right, but then reconstructing people for people to have a hope in the same kind of literature in that it's not, it, it, you're freeing it from the craziness. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I think it's how it's used, you know, is what it comes down to, you know, like regardless of like the religious text or, you know, secular text, you know, it's not always the text itself that's the problem, but, you know, how people choose to use it, you know, because, you know, you can use a text like the Bible for great things and you can use it for terrible things. And so, you know, with my work and my writing, you know, I'm hoping to help folks, you know, tell better stories, you know, that are worth yeah. believing in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I this is say, like a real, uh, Zach was real at topical the, thing, too. Yeah, right Zach was at the very first Strange Realities Okay, in was. person in 2019. That's One right. Good memories from that too. People, I think. Is there a? Um, I know we we streamed that a few years ago. Is is that available anywhere yet, Adam? Uh, yeah. Well, it's still. I mean, it's still on the Conspiranormal um, YouTube page. Okay. So yeah, if you want to go, you have to scroll. You would have to scroll down. Uh, pretty far down it's pretty far down i think we screened it right before the 2020 conference okay but it but it is actually there um it's mixed in with uh some of the other some of the other presentations but it is actually there eventually uh my goal is to put um a lot of these up individually um, yeah. but that's a long-term kind of a long-term goal right now but uh, we always like uh, having your perspective, Zach. And uh, thanks. Yeah, you've been here since the beginning. Thanks. I'm like I said, I'm generally honored to be hanging out with you guys. It's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. We're we're honored to have you as well. And it also really helps that you're here in Nashville, and also too that you're aware of how crazy things can get um, 
here in Nashville. How Nashville has kind of become it's kind of become a center of like uh a lot of right wing type of stuff right now. So Oh yeah. Mm. Big time. What's uh, like Ben Shapiro's group has moved here. Was that was that the Daily Wire and Yeah. Uh Matt Walsh. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me. Yeah, I, I saw him at dinner one time. Um I did not chat with him. <laughs> Ben Shapiro, you mean the grown-up kid from the Children of the Corn? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Watch it. You'll see. Yeah. Zach, are you going when – when we're there, uh, when you're there, are you going to get the, the Barbie playset and, like, uh, like hit it with oh, a Bible? Oh, I should. I'll, uh, I'll send a special invite to Greg Locke. You know, his church is just down the street from my house. It's yep. like about two miles yep. away. It absolutely you still got any of those billboards up? Oh man, no, my budget's not that big. Right, right. But you did at a at a time you had a, a couple, right? At least I did. Yeah, I put them up. You know, I intentionally tried to troll uh, Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh and them um, by putting it over by their headquarters over in Berry Hill. And um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. they didn't take the bait. But part of that's because my uh, more inflammatory i guess uh billboards did not um get approved by the legal counsel of lamar advertising mm. which was oh, wow. an interesting experience yes yeah, that that could be like a whole show in and of itself probably <laughs> we could probably talk about that's a conspiracy that. it sounds like yes my conspiracy there is that their legal counsel is run by the southern baptist convention um otherwise i can't really make heads or tails of why they turned them down <laughs> yeah Sure. Don't they believe in free speech? Apparently not at Lamar. So um, you guys, everybody that's listening, um, uh, Friday evening, 7.30 to 8.30, that is November 3rd. That is when, that is when Zach is going to be um, presenting. So you, you're, you've, you're, you're going to uh, – Tim Manal is going to follow you, so I'm just going to warn you that it's going to be a <laughs> – it's a powerhouse duo right there. What, what, what you're leading into is you got you got to set it you got to set it up really well. Awesome. What's he going to be speaking on? Uh, uh, Tim, I think is going to be. I think he's going to be talking about some like grab bag of topics or like the from the paranormal world, some of the paranormal um, weirdness and tomfoolery that's been going on. That's what nice. he's kind of you know been been looking at doing. I think so. And there may be some extra things we're doing on Friday night. Not, not gonna drop it just yet. But there's a possibility, so. Cool. All right, and so you Will guys. There be reptilians. There may be reptilians. Yes. You uh, might not be able to tell who they are, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, uh, what's the, what was the guy, Aaron? That uh, the, the, the not Steamboat Willie. What's the guy's name that was accused? <laughs> Oh, Boxcar Willie. Boxcar Willie. Yes. Boxcar Willie was a lizard person. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I stand by that. Monarch yeah. Operations in Nashville, Tennessee. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you if you take Kathy O'Brien at her word, and why wouldn't you? Um, 
Yeah, Boxcar Willie and, oh, God, a guy named Alex Houston who apparently had a ventriloquist act or something. like. He was the really bad guy. But, uh, yeah, Nashville was sort of the center of, uh, of all this. Uh, Branson as well, of course. I, I don't know if Andy Williams was involved, but mm. I like to think he was. It's that Mena Airport CIA dope was being carried. Well, wasn't the Fiddler's in? Wasn't the Fiddler's in involved with that? Somehow? Yeah, Fiddler's in. Yep. According to Fritz Sprigmeier, is yep. a uh, is a monarch programming site. So that will be very close mm. to the vicinity of where most of our speakers will be staying too. That's very right. Close. Why aren't you staying at the Fiddler's Inn? They'll have a lot of. Uh, 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 insect visitors there probably from the looks of it from the outside. So. All right. Well, um, we'll, we'll move on to you, Aaron. I'm curious of what you're going to be presenting on. Yeah, me too. No, I do have a topic. Um, <laughs> so, so um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, I was going to say it's weird. It's not weird. It, it's actually kind of, kind of sweet. Um, so one of the things I've been, interested in the last uh, the last few months is the Detroit flying saucer scene in the 50s and into the 60s because these uh, these people who organized themselves into the Detroit flying saucer club were overwhelmingly middle class late middle age professionals um, who were usually in into some spiritualist topics but they were not they weren't like hanging out with the IM cult or anything like that, but they get interested in UFOs through through George Adamski, and in the nineteen like some of the earliest appearances of Adamski outside of his Southern California burger stand were were in Detroit multiple times playing to increasingly large audiences at venues that were like legit, like the auditorium at the Detroit Institute of Arts and the big Masonic Temple Auditorium. I think it was it was at least two or three thousand people bought tickets in Detroit, you know, to go see George Adamski give a talk. And then they brought in Truman Bethram and they brought in Buck Nelson and they brought in uh, George Hunt Williamson and they sort of served as a as a booking agency for these uh, for these contactees in the 1950s and and this is not you know giant rock where all the people you know who like this stuff congregate this is this is we we run ads in the paper and we sell tickets at a local bookstore and and people show up which is which is fascinating but but beyond that um the FBI has quite a bit of paperwork on the Detroit Flying Saucer Club, mostly because people are like, these folks are weird. I think you should check them out. And so they, they, were, they were checked out for being politically subversive in some ways. One woman who was involved uh, named Laura Mundo would go on to um, – she was sort of – Adamski's right-hand person in Detroit and has some scandalous stories about him. Uh, stuff that um, not acceptable in any day or age, but much more vocally unacceptable in our day and age as far as his behavior. And she's got interesting justifications for that. Um, she has a break with Adamski. She goes off on her own. Um, one of one of the Saucer Life listeners has 
really gotten into Laura Mundo. He's he's local to Detroit, and he's found all kinds of stuff like her her pamphlet titled "To the Militant Black Man" in like 1967, where this middle-aged white woman from suburban Detroit explains to militant black men why they need to settle down, which is my God. Um, so uh, just like. Mm. Interesting, wow. interesting uh, take, but it's it's very much, very much of its time. But she ties it into the cosmic wisdom and um, and things like that. Oh, she ran this interplanetary sure. center uh, in Dearborn, which was you know her house, and um, sort of not like harassed and and victimized for her beliefs by the neighbors, but made fun of because she was a weirdo, and her house is always full of weirdos. Um, Interest. It's an interesting story, uh, all, all in all. And it's a real slice of how the contactee stuff played out on the ground in a city that was that was not California, that was not Howard Menger land out in uh, New Jersey. I almost said New New Zuri, but that's New Jersey and Missouri put together. Um, it, it's. I think it's an interesting tale of how regular people get drawn into this and since i've done anything about it on the show um i've i've come across additional uh, additional things she's written um her one of her relatives emailed me with a um a scanned copy of the uh, unpublished memoir that she wrote in which she changed all the names, but it's pretty obvious. Um, her granddaughter apparently uh, sent me a message on Instagram that I need to get back to her about. I keep forgetting, but she's like local to me. So um, it's, it's a really interesting story and, and a kind of slice of life of, slice of saucer life of the um of the the, the saucer scene back <laughs> back and then back then um that that uh, that you won't get anywhere else maybe for good reason but uh but you won't get it anywhere else awesome that sounds great aaron we're really looking forward to that yeah yeah nice oh, i always enjoy awesome. aaron's presentations well thank you aaron's presentations as well so mm-hmm. uh, and should say that we are getting into you guys are all the ones that are going to be online only on the, on the fifth mm-hmm. and uh, should also say for everybody, these times that I'm giving, these are central time zone times. So <laughs> I need to write that you, down. Actually. Yeah, so, so when you're right. So when you're doing this, you know, so uh one twenty to two twenty uh, central time. And that's actually, Another thing about that Sunday, November fifth, is the time is going to change. So yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> oh god, oh, you right. Extra, you get an extra hour, but uh, so, so Aaron, that's two twenty to three twenty for you on Eastern time. Okay, I, I, oh, uh, you I know what? Eastern my, my, Standard Time. My calendar app has it wrong, but I think that's because it knows the time is going to change on that mm-hmm. day. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I just need to write it down on a piece of paper. Probably <laughs> be easiest. Yeah, so that is. I'm sure uh, you guys will remind us. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Where are you? Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll remind you. But it's great that it's fall back instead of spring ahead because I think yes. that's total basket case then. So. Does anyone yeah. want an extra hour? David? <laughs> Can I get two, three? Yeah, I'm just on there. I'd listen to that. Six hours. Yeah. 
I honestly thought we already switched the clock, so I'm glad you told me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, 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 we, you know, they really should just do away with standard time altogether and just keep it on daylight time. I don't understand this. Like, what is it like? Eight months of you get like eight months of daylight time now and like four mm. of what's even the point. I don't even gotta go out and work the fields. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I guess, I guess. So again, that's uh one twenty to two twenty central time on uh, Sunday, November the 5th, which is also, uh, we're going to have a big guy Fox day celebration that day. So. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. Make sure you wear your uh, V for Vendetta masks. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, David Metcalf, what are you going to be talking about? I am going to be talking about something to trash the trash, the trash up. The, I'm sorry. Something to dress the trash up at midnight, um, which is what Vampire called uh, horror hosts. And I'm going to be looking at the 20th century horror hosts, as sort of an initiatory figure um, and looking at how strange it is that um, in 1957, you know, Screen Gems releases a package of universal, what they're called Vaulties. So movies that at that point weren't really getting shown in theaters um, and Universal wanted to make money on them. So Screen Gems and television was taking away market share from theaters and studios and so one way that they, they realized they could get around that was to take this old intellectual property, repackage it, give it to the television stations who needed content, right? Television was new still in the late 50s, and people didn't really have a concept for how to fill dead space and air. You don't want to hire people to create a new show. We've got these movies, right? And everybody needs to make money. So let's put these out to the airwaves. But what's interesting about horror is that, you know, um, Dracula and Frankenstein were the two ones that were the first ones to show on TV. But Dracula, when it was released, was hugely controversial. And it was considered deleterious to the society. There were all these amazing um, letters written into Universal about, you know, just how appalling it was that this was being shown. And this was, it was a big deal. And Frankenstein, the same thing. There's actually a, <clears throat> the famous It's Alive uh, uh, statement. Uh, the actual statement is, oh, my God, I now, or oh, my God, I now know what it is to be a God. It's alive. And that got edited out because they were like, no, you can't, can't be showing that. And these are pre-code, right? Like these are pre uh code uh horror yep. but still they were causing controversy then you had the you know the motion picture uh you know association come in and create uh what was a kind of a the the studios agreed it wasn't necessarily that they were censored but they agreed to self-censor so that they didn't get censored which just meant that you know there was censorship and that's why you have the switch from the original kind of run of dracula frankenstein and those and the way that they were sort of framed then you have moving into stuff like son of frankenstein you know son of dracula and that which are a little bit you know up to the abbott and costello movies right and then go into the 50s with the monster movies and all that but point being right 
in the mid 50s horror comics get nixed by congress right there's a huge congressional thing they're like you can't show this there's rules no zombies no werewolves no vampires no anti-christian statements no occult like all these different rules which is you know now known as like the the comic book authority right no so fun. what's that i said no fun <laughs> No fun. Take it all out, right? When I mean, there's hilarious things from that that congressional hearing, though, where like they've got they've got uh, one of the one of the covers that they showed. It's it's a woman's head cut off, and there's like an axe, you know, and there's blood coming out of it. And the 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 publisher was asked, you know, like is is this what you're showing, you know? And he was, and they, they had said it in a very specific way and he corrected them. Right. And he was like, well, we don't actually show the blood, you know, like it was like the way that he framed it was just like, well, we didn't quite get that graphic, you know, but, um, so comics get, get censored. And then in 57, because of the screen gems package of universal stuff, suddenly this stuff is on your television. Right. And so one of the interesting things that comes out of that though, um, in sort of the fact that, this was a new a new venue vampire had come out in 52 and she'd done her thing which had also been uh somewhat controversial but was was taken in good good standing the reason that she got taken off the air was that she wouldn't sell her uh her intellectual property of vampire so she owned that and she wasn't willing to give it to the the station and the station wanted it and she was like no, i'm not going to do that so they took her off the air um, and then 57 rolls around and the television stations are given these press packages that tell them, you know, okay, so we've got, here's the licensed product, which is Dracula Frankenstein and the, the universal horror movies. Um, and here's how to sell it. Right. And all the promos that they do are vampires promos. It's drive around town in a hearse, you know, all this different stuff, bring the horror to your town, have different events, have kids come and, and all this stuff. But what's amazing is this is a time of heavy censorship. Right. And so these movies, like they're not, they're not what the television station would ever show of their own volition, you know, but they the people want to see them and when shock theater came out the public went nuts and the money was insane i mean the ratings were crazy the amount of money that they were making i think the the shock theater in la when that premiered um and shock theater was the name that they put because they didn't i mean the, the, it was shock theater across the country but these were all different this wasn't a syndicated show it was just the shock theater package so what do you call it it was shock theater right or chiller theater because they were called chillers or thrillers right and so um this stuff just pops up because of money and it's and it then explodes um and they have to figure out how to frame it and so they have you know most like zachary john zachary is a, a, a famous one and he uh he didn't even really watch horror he was a he was a, a character actor that somebody had seen play a, a pallbearer, and so they they get him in there, uh, you know, like a, a gravedigger, and they get him in there to his his bit, and it's just it's this one off stuff. It has nothing to do with the movies, really. You know, it's local theater being portrayed by you know random character actors that they could pull into the studio, or sometimes it was the weatherman, you know, yeah, right after hours and stuff, and so right. it's just. It's, it creates this whole format, but what the format in doing that does is it creates what in uh, Grand Guignol was called the hot and cold shower, where you would have something that was comedic, and then you would have something that was really visceral and, and nightmarish and bloody. And so you have these comedic interludes in between these movies, which 
it, as time goes on into the seventies, like the, the, when the initial universal thing came out, it made so much money that all the studios were like, well, crap, we need to package our stuff and hand it to television shows. When AIP wanted to fund the Roger Corman, um, Poe movies, which was their entrance into the kind of the middle tier. That wasn't the, the exploitation kind of B movie stuff for drive-ins. The Poe movies were set to more of like a middle level of the, the market and they wanted them to be in color and they wanted them to compete with the hammer product. Um, you know, hammer, um, like the Dracula and Frankenstein with Peter Cushing and, and Christopher Lee. Um, and so they funded that through selling off literally their entire back catalog up to the year that they sold it to television stations. Right. So this wasn't now we're used to streaming a movie comes out and Hey, why can't I watch it? You know, it's in theaters, but I want it now. And then, you know, wait a month and it's there, or sometimes they're simultaneously released back then, you know, you may never see a movie again. It may go to a theater and then it was gone. Right. And this was really something different where these movies would come out in the theaters, they would go in grind houses and they would go into the second run theaters and they would go into to drive-ins and that. But once the television uh, kind of horror thing happened, suddenly they were on TV. Right. And the AIP stuff is not the universal stuff from the, the thirties and forties. AIP was, is much more visceral, you know, and you also had the fact that it was, there were copyright rules that they were trying to get around. Cause again, money, um, and you don't want to pay a lot. Well, it's much cheaper to get stuff from Italy or Japan, and that's where Godzilla comes onto TV, right? Or the um, Black Sabbath and some of the, you know, the Italian horror. Um, and it's just amazing to look at the list of things that were shown on local television stations, you know, which even now would you know be considered to be rather you know spicy fare for people to be you know enjoying. And this whole, you know, the, the other thing that's, that comes out of that, too, is the fact that the, the money that they were making on that made it much more interesting for those products to be bought in by larger kind of conglomerates. And so the intellectual property gets traded up. And that's where you get in the early 60s, you get the uh, product licensing for Universal, which leads to horror and that being associated with Halloween. And so, you know, this, this whole kind of horror culture that we have now the development of it is so centrally tied to this really interesting period in the late fifties where these movies were licensed. We had horror hosts come out, show them, you know, and then that, that all kind of disappears by the eighties. And then by the eighties, you have Elvira come out, um, which was supposed to be a vampire relaunch, but vampire wanted more creative control than they wanted to give her. Um, so they just changed the name a little bit, changed it up a little bit and you have Elvira. Yeah, um, Elvira stole, stole her her stick, stole her act. Basically, no, she didn't steal it. No, she was given yeah. it. Like they, you know, they wanted. I mean, that's the, that's kind of the sad thing is that, um, you know, uh, it was an actress who needed a job, and so yeah. you know, she took the job and she took the character and she did it great. Um, but you know, it was from the studio end of it, from the production end of it, it was stealing Vampire's intellectual property. Uh, well, I don't want to. I don't want to give too much away because I want people to come watch your presentation. <laughs> but I want. But one point that I want that that I want to make about that I find interesting about the whole horror host phenomenon is the local nature of it. Yeah, and how mm. like that is something that's like gone. And I kind of growing up in like the late. 
seventies, early eighties kind of caught the tail end of it. Mm-hmm. But like my dad's generation, you know, he can remember there being there. There was a horror host in Chattanooga yeah. that he remembers. So like Dr. Future remembers somebody in Louisville, you know, he was old enough to remember that. And then like, there was one here in, in Nashville and like every like town or every market had their own horror, ho- horror host. And that's just something that's just like gone completely yeah. because everything now is syndicated. Everything now it's like, it's the same TV shows on all the time. It's like, that's a, that, that, like, that's an art form. That's that there's a few people doing it like on the internet and such, but like, yeah, that's, you'll that's see it on about. late night, but it's not like something that, but even that's like nationally produced. Yeah. And that's something I'll be, yeah. Or, or distributed, right? Like yeah. a lot of, is if it's on the internet, it's folks that are doing uh, sort of. A it sounds like that really creates the uh, or shapes the taste of the next generation of horror filmmakers. That interplay with the it did, film. yeah, it did at one time, and I, you know, that's some of the stuff that we'll be we'll be looking at is just what is what does it mean, and I, I'll be looking at that too, like what you're talking about Adam, where what does it mean now, right? Because you've got Joe Bob Briggs, yeah. he's got a show, Sven Gulli, who is local yeah. to Chicago. Um, Which I saw Sven Gulli's uh, Rubber Chicken at the Rubber Chicken Museum here. <laughs> yeah, 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 you sent me a picture. There's, uh, there's a guy here in Nashville, Dr. Gain Green. Yeah, Dr. Gain Green. And what's yeah. interesting about Dr. Gain Green is that he's actually involved in kind of like archiving yeah. the yeah. horror history. Yeah, he's he really is. involved yeah. in, like, in, in sort of cultivating that. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating thing that existed for a period of time for a very specific reason. Um, and what we have now is kind of reflective of, you know, people reflecting on that and recreating it, which I think is similar in a lot of ways to a lot of the, the kind of media that we have today. Very reflective on the past and recreating it in sort of a, a pastiche or an homage, but not quite getting the, the core of why those things popped up in the first place. Very interesting. Okay. It's great to have these kind of cultural stuff. It's always an element of strange mm-hmm. realities. Uh, it's a good reason for me to watch horror movies. I mean, that's yeah, that's absolutely. really the, the crux. And, the crux of this was I was watching a lot of horror movies. So, <laughs> and it's and it's per, and it's perfect for right after Halloween. So, yeah. Uh, so, on uh, Sunday, November fifth, twelve ten to one ten, David Metcalf. Uh, is presenting that central time. So David, one ten to twelve ten, one ten to two ten for you. So it's every, anyone knows everyone here people. is on. Everyone that's speaking is on Eastern time uh, on, on Sunday. So. If anyone knows any organizers of uh, horror conventions, I really think David could hit that circuit. And, for uh, real, mm-hmm. it's a big, it's a big audience out there. I did a that thing I did for Miskatonic was fun. Yeah, <laughs> the, mm. the psychology, Cold War parapsychology, and horror movies. That was a, that was fun. Well, last but not least, Chris Ernst, uh, who is starting us off on uh, that that day. Uh, what yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, funnily enough, I, I am going to talk a little bit about uh, Dracula and Frankenstein and Mark of Zorro because they were all written by this fellow Garrett Fort. Uh, and he's one of the people that I will be talking about who are, I'd say, pre-1960 um, uh, individuals or movements that really influenced, uh, I'd say, art, culture, and specifically media. 
but came from an esoteric uh, space. And so it's in many ways uh, uh, an extension of some of the stuff that we were talking about when we did the show uh, with AP on cinema and the occult, but it's getting a little bit more into uh, some folks that people maybe haven't uh, heard of and the work that they've done and how influential it's been to a lot of the, uh, the filmmakers that I think are kind of, and listen, I, I love David Lynch. You, you, you know, I do. And uh, everything proves that, but I think he's been talked about a little bit, you know, to death in terms of uh, occultism and esotericism and same, I'd say for uh, uh, Kubrick uh, really. And I think there's some other folks like, and Kenneth Anger for that matter too, like Maya Darren or uh, some of the surrealists uh, like Germaine Dulac, uh, Garrett Fort, um, and all of these people, uh, uh, and then some theorists that were involved with them, like Guy DeBoer and Siegfried Krakauer. A lot of these folks were coming um, uh, from spaces, particularly uh, spaces of esotericism that had to do uh, with ideas of um, uh, consciousness and uh, uh, accessing uh, uh, the mind through different uh, types of media. Uh, and a lot of it was really uh, probably best understood under uh, the umbrella of like experimental art. And you also see at the same time, beyond sort of the influence to some of these famous filmmakers like uh, Kubrick and Lynch uh, that and uh, Kenneth Anger that people talk about a lot. Um, there's, uh, you know, a heavy uh, parallel track that's going on in the experimental art world, which uh, very much intersects with experimental cinema, but then goes off on its own. And you've seen uh, the sort of warp shape of that in terms of how Pizzagate interpreted Marina Abramovich and spirit cooking and things. But in general, I'm going to focus, even though I'll talk a little bit about how it uh, seeps into what's happening now, I'm mainly going to focus on folks from you know, prior to 1960 and sort of where their influences came from, the works that they did, and then how those sort of trickled into the zeitgeist that uh, we see now. It's a very short explanation, but... Uh, cool. Uh, I can talk more about the details then. <laughs> I feel like I don't want to give too much away, honestly. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. This, this is just a preview. Yeah. Just to get yeah. people get people interested. But I'm happy to answer questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's quite the, um, uh, all, all this stuff together. I mean, just shows what strange realities is all about. It's yeah. kind of difficult to define. Um, and we've, probably had a little bit of struggle with our messaging just because it's it's really just all the disparate shit that we're interested in well um, but that sounds like a great lineup everybody i'm really looking forward to all this I was, yes. i'm looking forward to listen to these i was so glad that kind oh, of just really quickly chris yeah. i'm glad that you're talking about that because uh the the horror host is the initiative sort of an initiatory figure um, yeah to be able to follow up your discussion of uh absolutely knowing that you're going to be talking about that i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, think about that and try to you know set up some stuff uh stuff like this yeah, usually that's great. Happens. there's usually kind of coincidental um trains of research between different speakers we have mm -hmm. yeah mm, i'm really media. interested to hear 
And just to let everybody know, um, Chris Ernst uh, speaks 11 to 12 o'clock. That's central time. So that's 12 o'clock to one o'clock for you, Chris. Absolutely. Okay. Um, just, to, just to a point to, to, to how to like to define or the, the difficulty of defining strange realities. I mean, I, I just think we're, we have such a, a, a pool and a resource of talent and people that really think outside the box and really think, you know, much further than just like, you know, Oh, there's Bigfoot. Oh, the, I like ghosts, you know? Or, yeah. or like aliens, you know, we've got people that really do research and people that really are um, um, concerned about, you know, other issues and other things. And um, also just like dig deeper into so many subjects and are just like serious researchers. Yeah. Versus so like, maybe more enter- entertainer personality driven. Right. Right. And, mm-hmm. not that I don't think any of our stuff is entertaining because I think it is. <laughs> Are you right. saying Tim Banal's not entertaining? I know. <laughs> what were you saying, David? Uh, I was saying, and we love Ghost and Bigfoot too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know yeah. what, Chris? Uh, since I had, I had a, I had a flash in my head when um, Aaron uh, mentioned Adamski's uh, burger stand. Was that a, was that an influence on Hill in the Hole with, uh, with? The- oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was, it was taught. It was absolutely talked about. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it, but it was more like we only have access to a uh, a fried dough truck. But well, you know, somebody will get the reference. It great. really, it was originally talked about as a burger stand. If I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, yeah. Bill, the guy who wrote the script, is like he's he 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 knows everything. He just you know, uh, he's he's a crazy recluse, not recluse. He's. he's a Sorry, yeah, and, gosh. And, and we know who played who got to who played the fry the fry cook in, in right. The fry cook was Tim Banal under the uh, the watchful <laughs> eye of Adam Go Rightly. And that's <laughs> one on too. The, the tutelage of Adam Go Yeah, yeah. Um, Zach, I know that you'll probably have to 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 take off here about ten minutes or so. Um, yeah, but, I got um, kids to bed. I'm going. I wanted to ask. You know, I, I really wanted to take this opportunity since I've got. Uh, you is kind of like a uh, mm-hmm. really you went to theology school. I mean, you're basically a trained theologian. And Aaron, I fake uh, it you're, well. you're, what's that? I fake it. You fake it. <laughs> Aaron is an historian, and guys, also you know, feel free. I mean, you know, this has been a it's been a crazy week in the last uh, well week. So um we touched on it a little bit when you were talking about what you were going to talk about for the conference but i just kind of want to get you guys thoughts on what's going on right now um from those those perspectives the views expressed seriously um i go, go ahead Zach, since since you got, well, I was gonna say I appreciate you not you know choosing a controversial topic, you know. To, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, I mean, I, I think the most honest answer is just there's not any easy answers. You know, like I think in moments like this, we want easy answers. You know, you want like clear divides. You know, and you know, be able to clearly choose things. And sometimes, you know, it's just messy, you know, and sometimes it's like 
there's this very clear and obvious bad thing and then there's this good thing and then it goes back and forth and you know it's kind of a tale as old as time um you know and just to use a theological term it sucks <laughs> you know like it just does like you know what ha- what hamas did was awful you know what's happening in gaza now is awful you know like there's just it's all awful you know and i i wish i knew you know how to solve it um or at least you know make the violence stop but i mean i think for me personally you know what i've tried to do in my work um you know is not obviously you know directly tied to middle east policy but you know religion you know is clearly an underlying thing that's going on and has right. been going on there and in this thing and and for me and in, in my context um which is you know far less you know serious um you know in day-to-day you know evangelical fundamentalist progressive christian kind of circles you know is the importance of just being able to admit you know that you could be wrong about things you know and like i mean that's something that i personally you know i know growing up in fundamentalism struggle with you know that that there was a possibility that i could be wrong about anything just never entered my mind and i think when that happens and we kind of have that dogmatic mindset it makes it easier to draw, you know, lines in the sand and to demonize people and to make enemies, you know, out of strangers. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, what, what the answer is, but I know on this side of the ocean, you know, far removed from all of the chaos and the violence, um, you know, a good dash of humility from, you know, folks on, you know, Twitter or Reddit or wherever who are now Middle Eastern policy experts um you know could go a long way <laughs> yeah yeah ab- absolutely and maybe disentangling it from yeah the revelations as well maybe. right yeah. oh yeah absolutely don't spoil my talk come on man. <laughs> I, I i think from a from a historical point of view this is this is not new it's not the same conflict it was 20 years ago 40 years ago 50 years ago but the the roots of it are are there and and what I see are people using the deaths of innocent people in the region to indulge their own bigotry thousands of miles away, and that concerns me greatly. Um, from a guy who reads foreign affairs point of view, I am very concerned about regional stability. I'm worried about Lebanon getting involved. I'm worried about this expanding um, throughout the region. I'm worried. I'm. I'm hoping Iran doesn't do anything stupid. Um, I I think there's a lot of a lot of things to be concerned about, including including the consistent defaulting to a military solution to what is a diplomatic issue. And that's, that's what terrifies me is, is that is, is there, there's, there's got to be a way and I don't see anybody in power in the region working towards building a framework for a lasting peace. Um, which is something that when I was in college and high school, we just sort of back in the 90s, we just sort of assumed would happen 
at some point, right? Well, we had the Camp David Accords and, you know, they're talking and we've got this stuff, but I don't think there's any sort of, I don't, there's any sort of Levant located equivalent of the Good Friday Accords coming. Um, and I, I don't see a, a I, I, I don't know what the path forward is. I, I don't, but I am yeah. convinced that that even in the face of of horrific horrific terrorism um that that the military solution might be playing into the hands of those who want to stoke further uh further hatred and um i i there's there's no there's no good answer. This isn't me being like, well, both sides. It, no, <laughs> it, it, it's like it's there is it's difficult. This is complex. There's a reason nobody's come up with a solution, right? Yeah, no. um, it, yeah. It's it's not like there's a solution that the Illuminati are keeping secret. It, it, it's this is tough. This, only- this is tough. Yeah, I was, um, you know, because of all this. I was looking back into it, just kind of refreshing myself on it and looking at something like the Oslo Accords, which seemed to have been a major step forward in the mid nineties. And it was just never really implemented for whatever reason. It just never really took place. There's certain parts of it that did, but what, you know, has been interesting is that, it seemed that this had kind of died down in, in a lot of ways. Like you really weren't hearing about it very much in like our media over here. You know, it was yeah, probably a day- key is that you weren't hearing about it in our media here. Yeah. yeah. I think it was like a day to day thing there. And then all of a sudden this, this just happens. And you know, it seems like there's been some speculation that Hamas did this just to completely derail any possibility of any kind because they don't want any kind of negotiation with Israel. They want they, yeah. they they want none. And remember that Hamas and I mean Palestine is basically split really mm-hmm. uh, between mm-hmm. two different factions. So, I mean, I I you know, and this is not something that I necessarily. Uh, would speak as truth just because it was something that I was listening to recently, but I think it's, it's, it's worth noting. Uh, uh, it was, uh, I think it was, he's a professor. I think he's a professor at UPenn, Ian Lustig. Uh, anyway, he's an expert in this area. And um, he, I was uh, listening to him uh, on a podcast and he was talking essentially about how, in his opinion, uh, based on much research that he has done, that Hamas is essentially Israel, the Israeli, the right-wing Israeli government wants Hamas because Hamas is a uh, terrorist organization, which is something that is very bad, uh, but it's something that is not, uh, it's, it is not as legitimate as, say, what Arafat and PLO we're doing and that this is something that is it's there's far more nuance like geopolitical nuance 
as with everything. Uh, but, you know, he, he made a pretty convincing argument. And he also mentioned the other thing is that, you know, depending on where you start the story, uh, it's a very different one. So if you start the story on October 7th with the uh, brutal and horrific uh, terrorist attacks by Hamas on Israel. Um, it's a very cut and dried uh, situation. But if you start the story in 1948, it's a very different uh, story uh, that you're telling. And so yeah. uh, I think these are just all things we need to consider when we're thinking about it. Us, you know, especially me and many of us not being esper- experts on this and being far away. Uh, one of the most damaging things I agree is the amount of disinformation and uh, essentially like uh, sports, uh, you know, uh, sportsing of this where you're taking on uh, a side, like as if this was the Super Bowl or something yeah. or, or right. the election, you know, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's a really good point about, about the role Hamas plays as a foil to the Netanyahu government. Um, I was reading, uh, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was in, uh, in foreign affairs. And, and basically the Netanyahu government has, has, you know, made a consistent case that with Hamas in its position, there is, there's, there's just nobody to negotiate with. We can't negotiate. There's, you, you can't negotiate with these people. And um, the, the Palestinian authority has been, has been weakened and has, little credibility among palestinians um but uh but but yeah you know it's hard to think like man remember for the the stable days of arafat and the plo um it's um yeah it's 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 kind of like you know wishing for the cold war back right it's it's um the, the the the, the future is a terrifying place and uh and then reptilians show up and don't worry we've got it all under control <laughs> you know they're coming for our women and and you know it, it it's it, it's, a, it's a huge thank you to reference that cfr backed publication foreign affairs there you know i was really yeah. hoping that by subscribing to foreign affairs <laughs> i would be considered a member of the cfr but apparently um no, I am not. <laughs> I'm not nearly that uh, cool or rich. Um, but uh, I, I, I will say they've got their. When you subscribe to the to Foreign Affairs, you get access to every issue ever published, like back to the 20s, which for somebody who teaches history is yeah. a really good resource oh, if you uh, give students things to read. Um, so, well, I want to, I know Zach's got to get going. So I want to, uh, Zach, thank you for being here with us tonight um, and doing this and being a part of the conference. Uh, again, to, to let everyone know you are speaking uh, Friday evening at uh, seven thirty to eight thirty. That's central time. So guys, um, you know, look at your clocks. Uh, uh, so Zach, I just want real quick, just please tell everyone they, where they can find you and about your, your, your books that you have available. Yeah. Um, find me on the internet. Um, my, uh, handle on Twitter and, uh, Instagram and threads and Facebook is at Zach hunt, but with two A's because somebody stole my name and I tried to be clever and, and I'm not clever. Um, but yeah, I wrote a couple of books and there's my daughter, um, <laughs> Unrapture, which is, uh, you know, kind of what I'll be talking a lot about at the conference. I uh, wrote a book more recently called God Breathe, which is, you know, debunking biblical inerrancy, but within Rapture stuff, especially, you know, what we're talking about now, you know, the influence of end times theology on what's going on right now, um, is, is pretty, uh, direct 
um, and intent. So if you want to know the idea of the Antichrist and the dates for Jesus' return and all the, you know, answers about the future, I'll be giving them away um, at the Strange Good. Reality Conference. So <laughs> Excellent. I'll Excellent. find out all the secrets awesome. about the end times. It's, it's got something to do with the, with the Council on Foreign Relations. I just know it. That's, yeah. what, I don't that's what I was told at the meeting. You know? so. I'll get you. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to spoil No spoilers, but I will give all the secrets to the end times. Oh, okay. Cool. Excellent. All right, Zach. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, guys, you strangerealitiesconference.com. Thank you guys so much. I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. See Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Some squishmallows showed up. That's right. Yeah. I, I you know, I, um, I, I decided I'd take the opportunity there to, to talk about that a little bit. Uh, David, I don't mm-hmm. have any, any thoughts on it or. I don't. <laughs> I don't. It's, it's um, <clears throat> I think my thoughts are. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it makes me happy. I live in a rural area. Um, I I kind of share Adam's. Just the. It's a pretty. It's a pretty uh, big powder keg to be kicking right now. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a lot of destabilization all over the place and having that kind of destabilization at a central sort of hub of trade and and movement, especially with Netanyahu talking about making a connection line between Europe and Asia. And that, I mean, it's, it's just a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. So I've been watching horror movies and uh, escaping like a small child into, uh, into that kind of stuff. I've, I've been doing a lot of the same. Yeah. It's like, Oh wow. I'm going to, Oh, my black adder DVDs. I'm just going to watch these all day. Yeah. I should be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's, it's a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, at the, you know, I don't know. It's also made me reflect. I mean, I guess, I don't know. It makes me reflect personally more than anything else. I'm just, uh, being a, a better person, I, you know, and just trying to be more, yeah, more open because we don't know. I mean, the, uh, yeah, I just did that whole thing in the, the Cold War stuff uh, with the, the parapsychology and that. And just uh, it was just like just shoving my head into like nuclear fear. You know what I mean? Just like mm-hmm. amped up, just consistently hitting that like nuclear button. And then I look out on this and we don't even have kind of like the narrative controls that the the Cold War had, you know, which may be sort of speaking to that, like, oh, I wish we had the Cold War. There was <laughs> there was a narrative there, right? Yeah. There was some kind yeah. of like good guys, bad guys, you know. And even yeah. if even if you were in Russia, right, there were good guys and bad guys, or the Soviet yep. Union. So um, we don't have that. Everything's so decentralized now, and it, you know, it's not just nukes. Uh, between the the misinformation and disinformation. And I mean, there was uh, up in Chicago that the Palestinian kid, he and his mom had come like a decade ago to get away from the violence in Gaza. And they went to Chicago and the the landlord had bought the kid toys, had, had actually had a friendship with this family. And then this happens and he's freaking stabbing the kid and his mom and the kid's dad. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's madness. And that's, and that's just, that's just sparked from this situation. But we also have every other horrible thing going on in the world, which is just dividing people and which is just causing, you know, this sort of just like horrible mind virus of violence that just, you know, just is expressing itself in random killings and, 
yeah, it's, it's not good. Yeah. As someone who believes, though, very fundamentally, both at a spiritual and sort of a practical level, in uh, the fact that cycles rule the world more than people think they do or rule creation, I do, I am, it, it is that. That is, I guess, part of the the introspection that this is. It's prompted in me is to think about cycles in the world, and you know uh, how how one, I guess, how one <laughs> understands being a human amidst the cycles of time. You know, uh, which is a pretty big thing to think about. But um, yeah, Th- that's my way of answering. How often do I think about the Roman Empire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, and to bring it back to the horror movies too, in the shock package, the uh, Freebie and uh, Amazon just made a deal with Universal, which yep. brought back, which was, right. it's, it's the shock package. It's the exact yeah. shock package. So you right now can go and relive that moment in 1957 when those things were released mm-hmm. on uh, Freebie. And Freebie actually has a channel too. They've got the yeah. Universal Monster Channel now. So mm-hmm. I was, wow. I'm glad you said that about the cycles because. Uh, yeah completely less important way i was thinking mm-hmm. about the cycles where i was like oh wow it's all coming mm-hmm. back uh, mm-hmm. we need the monsters to save us yeah or distract <laughs> us i mean really just to distract yeah. us I, yeah. I make no i make no contention that i'm any better off for just shoving my head in the sand with horror movies well yeah. I, I mean something has to be said to just this the media environment that we live in now you know no one used yep. to yeah. constantly think about yep. these things all yeah day. So that's probably not healthy for any kind of discourse, period. So. No, I'm I'm trying to just sort of sit down and do whatever the digital equivalent digital equivalent is of Green when that, yeah, sit down once a day, read the news, put it down, mm-hmm. go on with my life instead mm-hmm. of just doom scrolling constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mm-hmm. not even it's not even just doom scrolling for news now it's everybody's thoughts on the news i mean yeah. i can yeah. sort of i can sort of handle like yeah. oh wow this is a lot of bad news coming through in these news stories but hearing and, and having you know i don't follow these people but they're shoved in my face anyway random opinions well not random so much anymore it seems to be a whole lot more targeted nowadays um <laughs> opinions thrown at me and it's like look you nobody knows nobody commenting on twitter has any power to do anything and that and i think that's frustrating um because we we get all this information and we have all these feelings and we have no power i mean we and, and which is which is good um experts should be handling some of these things right like foreign relations but it's it's just we get so much information but we don't have any more authority or agency to do anything about these things on the other side of the world. It just riles us up and in some ways uh, turns, turns us against each other and, um, and we get exposed to these, these horrible events without any context in a lot of cases, unless you've been studying events for the last 70 years or or something you're just seeing oh my gosh it's this is horrible well somebody should do something about that it's like well let's go back a hundred years let's go back to the dawn of zionism and the ottoman empire and 
all of these things and and well no that's hard can't we just i don't know bomb somebody or something and it's it's that's the thing the the more you learn the more you realize you don't know much and no matter how much you know there's other people in charge who make the decisions that's that's cheery but uh (laughs) yeah right well, and that was that was something that I looked at for that Miskatonic thing was the, uh, you know, I mean, the Internet, Diana Pasolka writes about this in American Cosmic, but um, the Internet, the, before there was the Internet, even before there was the ARPANET, there was a project uh, that was called something like Augmenting the Human Intellect. And that, mm-hmm. was, that was actually what led to the Internet. So mm-hmm. the, the Internet that we have now is literally uh, a military intelligence tool which was set to augment the human intellect as, mm-hmm. as kind of an extended mind and that was mm-hmm. the that was the intention and mm-hmm. so you look at something like uh valet wrote jacques valet wrote a paper in 1975 called um computer conferencing an uh anomalous uh form of communication or what is it, the uh what's the um <coughs> altered state of communication um, so computer conferencing and altered state of communication. And then this paper in 75, he's writing about the early computer conferencing stuff, what we're doing here, um, and, and the atemporal qualities to it. And one of the things that he writes about, you know, a lot of positive things, people can connect from all over, right? We're all in different states and we can all talk and, and globally you can communicate and stuff. But what they found even back then when it was just scientists and engineers and researchers and, and government people communicating military and whatever academics and stuff communicating um violence anger misinterpretations all the things that we see now on a mass scale mm. were mm-hmm. in these small groups of professionals who shouldn't mm-hmm. have necessarily have those reactions to this um mm-hmm. so in the very medium itself is baked in that sense of violence helplessness this this weird atemporal distortion um and so then it gets rolled out commercially, right? And that's yeah. what we have now. And so, you know, all these things that you're describing, you know, and, and just people feeling like, oh, I need to have something to say and I need to do something. What do I do? And then other people being like, oh, I saw this and I can't, oh, I need to go hurt, stab somebody. Um, those things were inherent in them in this very medium, you know, and it's really interesting that this technology was supposed to be an extension of the global human mind right mm. and it, it it very obviously has the global human mind has some some pretty glaring behavioral issues you know yeah yeah emotional trauma and, and problems you know which are now all just being accelerated by this thing and the, the internet too the other interesting thing is that it was a reaction to the nuclear bomb um in the sense that it was it was literally made to decentralize command and control structures mm-hmm. um, now rolled out commercially you know, and, and it's just yeah. these these kind of impli- the, the the implications of what we have in front of us and what we what we, has just spread globally has never been addressed because it, it's a conversation now where the global human mind is on and, and it, we're all connected and mm-hmm. we never we never had a conversation about doing that somebody who again back to the horror movie and money 
you know, like they didn't think about like, oh, hey, we just censored this, you know, because it wasn't a we censored it. It was some guys in Congress censored it. And we're going to make some money because people want to see this stuff. And whatever they say, we'll skirt around that, you know, and that's the same thing that happened with the Internet. Like, oh, we've got all this evidence that shows that people go crazy when they use this thing. Well, we're going to roll it out and make money because it also can, you know, it, it makes it easier to, to control things. And then you get Omni Magazine and all these utopian visions, you know. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's moving, rolling forward. And then we get, you know, into these situations where these, like you're talking about, age-old, millennia-old conflicts are now exacerbated by this hyper-connected state that we're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about the, the Reformation lately and just that kind of what the printing press did and all the yeah. consequences from that world shattering. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like we don't, we don't even understand what print is. I was thinking about that. I'm doing a, a talk tomorrow on on public writing. Um, you know, for uh, it's for college students in like a cognitive philosophy class. But we don't even know what text is. You know, I mean, we don't really know what yep. it is. We don't understand what it is. We don't well, like most of the everything. public doesn't know all the media theory of like television to yeah, nope. yeah. Nope. But now we yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and now we have this yeah. stuff. We're just all sort of blindly moving forward as these, the technology develops and, and our communication and that without ever really reflecting on what it is that's happening. Well, Nobody's read McLuhan. Well, some of us have, but the general <laughs> world has. Everyone here probably has. You know, yeah. the, the, the question about uh, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? I think the real question is, how often do you think about the Holy Roman Empire? Uh, a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Am I teaching it the next day? If so, then yes, I will think about it. <laughs> well, Sergio, if you're reading about the Reformation, you're thinking a lot about the Holy oh, Roman yeah. Empire right now. Yeah. Yep. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> this is anyway. <laughs> I was just looking at the. I was just trying to refamiliarize myself with the period between uh, uh, the uh, uh, Constantine and um, uh, the 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 first caliph, which I felt like I didn't have enough. I, I wanted to refamiliarize myself with what happened in between then. Yeah, no. <laughs> Granted, I didn't get far, but uh, there's there's what? more. <laughs> Sounds like a hell of a good time. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, and I, I mean, if you really want to, if if you get asked that question by your significant other. Yeah. Just be like, well, which one do you mean? The the right. the the whole the Roman the yeah. Roman Empire proper, the Eastern Roman Empire, so fourteen fifty three, or the Holy Roman Empire? Which one right. are the Ottoman Empire? You can even include that mm-hmm. in there if you really want. I mean, just just hit them back with that. Yeah, that's that's that's, <laughs> that's the best way to do it. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. This Thank you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. But. <laughs> Always a good time. Yeah. Uh, I want to remind everybody but real about Strange Realities Conference as we do. You guys are going to be so sick of hearing about it by the end of this, but we're just going to we're just going to nail it into your head to get your tickets. And uh, but, uh, guys, please tell everybody where they can find you. Chris Ernst, we'll start with you. Uh, BrightRectangle.com. All right. And sometimes where did the road go? You're on there. Too. Oh well, yes, and sometimes where the road go, but I, I I never want to take uh, that's that's Soraya, but you'll find yeah. me there uh, because you know he's a buddy of mine and he likes to have me on sometimes. So yes, you can find me, but go there anyway. Soraya will be joining us next week. Yeah, and, awesome. Uh, Aaron, 
Uh, yeah, uh, saucerlife.com or wherever you find your uh, your podcasts. All right, David? Uh, DavidMetcalf.wordpress.com, although I haven't really published much. Uh, been doing more just kind of offhand talks, so check there. I usually post it there, or David B. Metcalf on Twitter. Okay, and I'm really excited to to – to see you guys presentations. I think this is going to be uh, Oh yeah. This is going to be really awesome guys. You don't you don't want to miss the uh the online third day, day mm-hmm. the online day because there's going to be still a lot of great information. It's going to um, be hot. Yep. It, it yeah, it's going to organize great. maybe some like watch parties too for the Nashville folks. Yeah, it's 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 going to it's cool. going to come in hot on uh on Guy Fox day. So uh, please good go. one. Good one. Remember, <laughs> yeah. Th- there you go. We're we're gonna we're 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 going underground. We're gonna we're gonna set up uh, an infernal machine and remember the third through fifth of November. It's strange. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, guys, strangerealitiesconference.com coming up November third through the fifth. November third to the fourth are at SIR Nashville, and November fifth is online. However, the entire conference is online, so do not forget that. And uh, tickets are still available online. Access for all three days is thirty dollars. For the two days at SIR, that is seventy dollars, and that also gets you the online access. Uh, If you're coming to the conference, please just get into the Facebook group. I will ask you to get into the Facebook group. If I see you there, or um, please get into the Facebook group that is attached probably to your ticket. Uh, if not, I will send it to you. Um, and you guys can get in there and you can uh, watch the entire conference if you miss anything. So you're not going to miss anything. The sooner uh, everyone does all of that, the better, too. So we can the better, yes. Ready to begin. Uh, all right, Sophia, anything that you want to add? StrangerAlitiesConference.com. Please get your tickets as soon as possible. All right, guys. We will be back next week with another set uh, from the online only day. We will have Michael Hughes, Timothy Renner, and Sarai Ascath. And I want to thank Christopher Ernst, Aaron Gullius, Zach Hunt, and David Metcalf for being with us tonight. And remember, strangerrealitiesconference.com. Get your tickets as soon as you can.